Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Collect that from you. SACP is a volunteer organization. We really appreciate the people who pay the $25 membership and help the organization to continue. There's only about a dollar of your uh, luncheon uh, funds that go to SACPA. We got it. We have to thank the U of L for support of our notices. Country Kitchen Catering, Shaw TV Channel Nine, CKXU FM Live, and the Lethbridge Herald for covering these events. And the format is 25 to 30 minutes with our guest speaker, lunch, and then questions after that. Again, going to the microphone for questions. So with that, I am going to get you right into the conversation and introduce Audrey Skoog, who is a frontline worker in the uh, Medicine Hat homeless shelter and has been instrumental in the process for years and years of bringing forth solutions to the problems that she's seen in that area. She's experienced in the Lethbridge area as well, having worked here, and I think we'll all be uh, interested to hear what she has to say. We'll turn it over to her. Audrey. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for allowing me this opportunity to speak on what now hundreds of people in our province are engaged in and interested in doing. Um, I'm just one of many people who's very, very passionate about not tolerating homelessness, and, uh, and I don't mean not tolerating homeless people. <laughs> there's, there's a huge difference. Um, so uh, I, I guess I'd like to start out by saying I like to bring back things to a community level. So I don't have a PowerPoint, not because I'm lazy, but uh, <laughs> because um, every good thing that has started um, in the communities that I've worked with has started from conversations, from people meeting people on a human level. And that's kind of where I come from. So, so basically, I want to start out by saying that uh, 30,000 Canadian people will be homeless tonight. And uh, approximately 6,000 of those people will be children. That alone should be enough to catch people's attention, but sadly it doesn't. And the fact is, there are amazing people that are dealing with this issue all across the province, and I'm going to acknowledge some because I think it's very important that we know who in, who in the province is dealing with things. So the people that are very engaged in uh, uh, the plan to end homelessness are the Calgary Homeless Foundation, City of Grand Prairie, City of Lethbridge, Homeward Trust Edmonton, Medicine Hat Community Housing Society, City of Red Deer, Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo, these are the people that, when you hear the, uh, the flashy headlines and sort of the hype around what we're doing, there are people behind those agencies that are passionate about being, um, being a part of the solution and bringing people's dignity back. And I also want to say that as we look at media, there's a lot of people that are seen as the face of homelessness. So what I want to impart is that the true face of homelessness are the 30,000 people tonight that won't have a place to be. Those are the true stories. Those are the people you won't see in the paper. And some of them, especially our youth, who are at a 40% higher mortality, chance of mortality, risk of mortality, those are the people whose stories you will never get to hear. So hopefully I can do justice to some of their voices. I want to start out by talking about some of the stats, because people like numbers above humanity sometimes. So uh, we'll start out with that. 
so everybody is aware since the plan to end homelessness has started, Alberta as a whole is, has housed 10,230 people. Those that have graduated from Housing First program successfully are 3,466 people. Those are all individuals that have gotten their lives back, gotten their families back. Once again, many of those are children. In Calgary, Calgary is housed, so the breakdown of those numbers, Calgary is housed 4,221 individuals. Edmonton is housed 2,676 individuals. Grand Prairie is housed 754. Lethbridge has housed 517. Medicine has, Hat has housed 575. Red Deer, 799. That's... Uh, for people that like numbers, that's a pretty incredible thing. That's something that we were told we couldn't do. And one of the things I want to address is we've, uh, I, you've all seen the headline that Medicine Hat has ended homelessness, and I, I think I want to be a little corrective <laughs> about that because I work at a shelter, and obviously people are still there. So I wouldn't have a job if uh, you know I was looking at empty chairs. So um, what I what I do want to congratulate my community on is the fact that we have housed our chronic individuals, those that are imminent risk of death from not being housed, from being homeless. Years ago, we did stats on our top shelter utilizers and. Uh, uh, we, very, we were very fortunate in being able to house those people. Um, and why that's interesting is they were people that were labeled that they would never be housed. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you hear the numbers. You hear that 30,000 people will not have a place to sleep tonight, and that should be sufficient. That should be sufficient for people to care enough to step forward. And I want to talk about um, homeless denial systems that stop us from doing what we should do and know we should do. So there's several things uh, that we use as excuses to not care. One of the biggest ones that you'll hear in terms of homeless denial systems are people choose to be homeless. And the one thing I can tell you, having now dealt with thousands of homeless individuals, is there's not one human being on this planet that chooses to go to bed scared and wake up hungry. Not one. There are people that accept being homeless because they're beaten down by the system. They've given up that there will ever be help for them. They've given up on the fact that anyone will ever care for them. They've given up on the fact that they will ever, ever have the dignity that you and I get on a daily basis. So no, people do not choose to be homeless. People give up on themselves. And if you're a frontline worker, your job is to help people believe in themselves. And you do not give up on them until they know that they are worthwhile and they deserve to have the dignity of a home. And that's, for me, one of the foundations of why I am passionate about housing people. Do I think it's a solution for everything? Do I think we can just shove everyone in a house and call it a day? No, the that's the easiest of the work, is to get people into housing. The true work is going to start to begin when we have to maintain people in housing. Because it's not just putting people in a house, it's helping people find a quality of life again. And we want quality, not quantity. So the, the interesting thing is, once we get past the denial systems, then we have to figure out what we're going to do about the problem. And uh, so I guess one of the things I can say as someone who manages a homeless shelter is uh, shelters aren't the answer. They're not the answer. We've spent most of our time dealing with homelessness in a, in a setting where we're, we're just managing it. We're just trying to keep people alive and we're trying to manage it. 
Um, it really hasn't uh, been until the last few years where we thought maybe this is something that we could have a solution to. And when I say that homelessness or, or um, shelters are not the answer to homelessness, some of you are thinking, I didn't even ask the question. And, uh, th and those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Um, so I guess I kind of want you to think about, because we always hear about the socioeconomic factors and mental and physical health considerations that go along with homelessness. And you can always hear that it, will ha it can happen to you. But no one in this room, I guarantee you, unless you've experienced homelessness, no one thinks it will ever happen to them. We spend our whole lives thinking, it will never happen to me. I live in Canada. I'm educated. I have this. I have these supports. So I want you all to think about the things in your life that keep you stable. Maybe it's a good job. Maybe it's your family supports. Maybe you have good friends. Maybe you have sustained mental wellness, and lucky, if, lucky you if you do. Maybe you have sustained physical wellness. Also lucky you if you do. Now take one of those factors away. Where do you see yourself with just one of those factors taken away? Take two of those factors away. Where do you see yourself? Now take three or four or maybe all of the factors away that are your protective factors that keep you in a healthy and stable life. This is what leads people to homelessness every day. People like me, people like you. Now think of the current system. So traditionally when we have dealt with housing people, we've dealt on a compliance factor. So we tell someone who's gone through immense trauma that we can't house them unless they stop drinking, unless they start taking their meds, unless they behave in a certain way. I'm here to tell you that housing is not a reward for good behavior. Housing is a human right. If housing was a reward for good behavior, I guarantee not one person in this room would have a house, and we'd have an even bigger <laughs> problem. So part of what we do when we're, when we're looking at, at, uh, at helping those that are homeless as we look at shifting our thinking. Because I really want to think, I, I want you to really think about, if you were in this position, did anyone ask you to quit drinking or adhere to a schedule of appointments and ask you not to make any mistakes before you were allowed to have a roof over your head? Now imagine you lost your house tomorrow and someone said you needed to change your life completely based on the dictates of what a worker said you should do so you can have the dignity of being in a home. And I really want people to think about what happens when you're homeless. If you were sleeping outside, are you necessarily going to want to be sober to experience that fully in all of its glory? <laughs> I'm always a little shocked when people say, why do homeless people drink? And I say, well, I would drink. <laughs> Absolutely I would, because... It's awful. It's an awful existence. When you are going to bed hungry and you're waking up scared, why would you want, why would you want to be fully immersed in that? So we have to sh shift our thinking about what homelessness actually means. And homelessness doesn't just mean the brown paper bag hobo under a bridge that is portrayed quite often. Homelessness means many, many things because in our, in our homelessness stats, what we don't often cover is we also have people that, un that are underhoused. There are people in this community even that are living in homes that don't have electricity. Think about that. We're in the first world. 
There's people that live in homes that do not have electricity. There are people that live in homes that have mold. There are people that live in homes that are condemned. So it's not just people living on the streets. It's people that are underhoused. And that's an epidemic. And we have to think about those people. When we consider homelessness, we also have to look at, at hidden homelessness. The people that are couch surfing, the people that are living with others because they can't afford to sustain their life. And I also want you to shift your thinking from thinking that it's just a government problem. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, the government really needs to fix those homeless people. Government really needs to get on that. No, it's a community issue. And let me tell you why. Because the kids that you don't care about today are the adults that you're not going to care about tomorrow. And that has a ripple effect. Everything that we do starts in our communities. If you have a full fridge and your neighbor doesn't, that's not a government problem. That's your apathy problem. We need to stop, start caring about the people around us. That's not something the government can cure. No amount of money in the world could be thrown at an apathy problem. We have to bring things back to community. And at a community level, that means caring about what's happening to the children in your community, what's happening to food security in your community, what's happening to the housing market in your community. There's no, it's no wonder that people become homeless when they're paying over 30% of their wage on housing. Who can afford that? And many people have to choose between having a roof over their head or having food. And quite often, the places that we can get food are also compliance-based. So I find that pretty fun, having to go through a bunch of hoops to eat. Think about that. Most of us can go run out to Burger King right now, and no one asks, gives us a questionnaire before we go to Burger King. So we have to think of the way that we see human rights. And the unfortunate part about society right now is empathy is contingent on the level of income. As human beings, we tend to have a ton of empathy for people that are in the same situations as us, and that empathy decreases as the, as the level of income decreases, and we need to really think about why that is. Quite often, we see people that are homeless as lazy. I can't tell you how many people work in the shelter that have three or four jobs, and they're called lazy. And no one asks them why they have to work three or four jobs. I've had people that have chosen to stay in the shelter and put their children somewhere safer. And they will work and they will give all of their money so at least their child can have a life. When the reality is they should be able to live with their child and have that life together. So it's not a laziness problem. I'm a lazy person and I'm not homeless. So, And I'm sure many people are. So we have to think about our denial systems. And all those things we tell ourselves are the things we tell ourselves so we'll feel okay about not helping our neighbor. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they get handouts from the government. Oh, there's this happening. We have to really, really challenge our own beliefs if we're going to help solve this problem. We need to teach people that it's a community problem and not a government problem. One of the things that people ask me all the time, they say, well, if shelters are not the answer, why are you passionate about working in one? The reason I am is because I'm passionate about working my way out of a job. Not that natural disasters will stop happening, not that we're going to cure addiction overnight, not that we're going to cure all of those underlying causes 
that bring people to homelessness. But I do hope for one, the day that will come, that my job won't be needed as much, that we have communities that care enough, that it protects people before they get to those places, before they get to those places of desperation. And that can happen to anyone. And I am telling you, I have dealt with homeless individuals who have worked for upper levels of government down. No one is immune from it happening to them. Most individuals are two paychecks away from being homeless. And that's why a solution is important. One of the things I always hear is people say, well, housing first doesn't help everybody, so why bother doing it? That would be like saying chemo doesn't help everybody, so why bother doing anything with cancer? Let's just let everybody die because we don't have the full solution yet. So what I challenge people to do is if you see things that aren't working, it's incumbent upon you to help find those solutions. Many of the greatest things that happen in the community that I work with came from us having unflattering statistics. Data is key, and I'm talking about honest data. You do data on your program, and you take it where it leads you. And if your program isn't working, change it or get rid of it. One of the biggest problems in our system is programs that are funded that don't do what they're funded for. So we need to take data, and we need to use it to honestly go where we need to go. Some of the best changes in our community happen that way. And sometimes, even in my case, there's times we've had programs, I said, this isn't working. It's obviously not working. We need to do something different. But our mindset is, oh, we need to hold on to this. Otherwise, we'll lose funding. No, no, you don't need to hold on to it. If it's not serving anybody, that money needs to go somewhere where it is. And that, that's being fiscally responsible, and that's also helping people. A lot of the change that, uh, that took place also happened just from having conversations. I remember when I first moved uh, to, uh, to Medicine Hat, everybody was uh, of the mindset that this is a very wealthy city. There isn't homelessness here. Like, that doesn't even happen. People didn't even know that my job existed. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. And um, I guess what I find kind of funny is someone had made a comment on, the, on a forum the other day. They're like, oh, people are just ending homelessness because it's great media attention it's, and it's so glamorous, which uh, <laughs> I find funny because I got puked on two days ago. And uh, I get really awesome emails. Like, for instance, yesterday someone sent me just one sentence that said, I hope you get diabetes. So uh, I'm just taking that as maybe I'm just so sweet they're concerned for my health. So... <laughs> Let me tell you, this isn't a, it's not, there is no glamour in it. <laughs> People that, uh, that take on um, homelessness, they do it because they love it. They love the people they deal with because some of the most creative, passionate, wonderful, and giving human beings I've ever met have been homeless. And they deserve dignity, and they deserve love, and they deserve respect just like anybody else. And they deserve to have another chance. The only difference between us having a home and them not is we just happen to be lucky enough to have enough protective factors. And the reason why we need to change our minds in our own communities is homelessness isn't just happening in Canada. Homelessness and poverty are a global concern. Most of the world is impoverished or living beyond their means. It's not something we can afford to ignore. It's not something that we can hide in our homes behind our big screen TVs and pretend it doesn't exist. 
because eventually those that are impoverished will outnumber those that have things, and society can't run that way. We're only as healthy as those that we take care of. We're only as healthy as those that are the most vulnerable in our society. And if we don't take care of them, we're essentially not taking care of ourselves. Years ago, the the Liberal government had a plan to end child poverty. Now all the children we missed in that are in the 10-year plan to end homelessness. So I just want you to think about that. We need to stop making plans and we need to start doing. I love the 10-year plan to end homelessness, but I'd like to see a day when we just deal with what's in front of us and just do it. And when we talk about ending homelessness or dealing with issues in our community, that doesn't mean we make 75 subcommittees and subcommittees for those committees and then steering committees for those subcommittees. We have a conversation, we figure out what to do, and then we do it. And that's one of the things that's worked really well for our, for our community is sometimes just sitting down and saying, let's try this. A really good example is uh, sitting down one time with, uh, with my uh, CBO and uh, we were talking about how our agencies com- could communicate better. And then we said, hey, why don't we just send a report back and forth to each other? We've now been doing that for four years. And it's worked amazingly. And every time people ask us about it, they're like, What's, what subcommittee designed that for you? Like, that's amazing. I'm like, we just sat down in an office and said, we need to communicate more so we can be better at our jobs. And then we did it. So it's bringing things back to a more simplistic level and it's bringing things back to a humane level it's bringing things back to caring about our neighbors to caring about what's happening in our schools and no these are not things we can solve overnight but our current mindset is if we don't have the solution to everything then why do anything and that's why we're exactly where we're at today that's why we are one of the richest countries in the world with an increasing suicide rate and increasing domestic violence rate and homelessness that's simply unacceptable for a country of this type of wealth and resource. Because we're of the mindset that if we can't solve everything, then let's do nothing. So my challenge to people always is, do something in your capacity. If you're a property owner, don't charge rent above 30% of what someone's income is. No one needs that kind of money. And I guarantee you, if you charge someone the type of rent that they can afford... You're going to have a tenant that will stay. You're going to have a tenant that's not desperately acting out, um, which is one of the interesting things about housing. Because we used to think, well, if pe- we, we'll just get people to quit their addictions before they get housed. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to happen on the street. Once we house people, generally we see, almost always actually, we see a risk in or a, a, de- a decline in risk-taking behavior. Because once people are safe, they don't need to do that anymore. They, um, some of you probably have recently read the Huffington Post um, article where scientists uh, were basically stating that addiction is based on the cage that you're in. Because they did studies on, uh, on lab rats years ago. And this is, how, this is literally how uh, alcoholism treatment kind of came to be, based on rats, which is funny. So they put these rat, two rats in a cage and gave them the option of vodka or water with, uh, with little, to me, little to no meaningful daily activity. <laughs> well, if I was in a cage with little to no meaningful daily activity, I'm going to choose the vodka over the water too because I'm bored. 
So it turns out that a lot of addictive behavior is very much based on the cages that we're in. And those cages can be very much the things that are, are, that we're in and in society. So we have to be mindful of the cages we put people in. And quite often when people are housed, many of those behaviors stop because they feel safe, because they feel they have dignity, because they finally have something to take care of. That doesn't mean that happens right away all the time. I think that's a misconception is people think that we put someone in a house and then they're happy and, you know, everything goes wonderful. I'll tell you a story about the very first person I housed when I was a housing first worker because I was really gung-ho on this. I'm like, what a simple solution. Like, we put people in houses. This is amazing. So I housed this woman who had, uh, she'd actually been homeless in the wilderness. She was suffering from uh, severe grief in her life. And to get away from her grief, she just took off and was tenting in the wilderness for the last 10 years. One of the most fascinating women I'd ever met. So I'm thinking, I'm going to put her in a house. This is going to be great. She's going to love it. She's going to love this. Because <laughs> I'm young and I just don't get it yet. So uh, I put her in this house and I uh, get the call from the landlord. And he said, uh, you need to come here right now. And if you're a housing first worker and any other housing first worker will relate to me, you get a lot of calls from landlords that say, um, you need to come here right now. <laughs> so I go to this house and all of her furniture is outside. And I'm like, what? What's going on here? I thought I had the solution for you. You're in a house. Like, just be happy. And uh, she looked at me and she's like, I haven't looked at a ceiling in 40 years and I'm terrified. And so we had to start slowly. A lot of uh, housing people, a lot of negotiations with landlords. So I promised the landlord that I'd bring one piece of furniture in per week. (laughs) So we spent a lot of time, her and I, back and forth negotiating how we were going to get furniture in and making her feel safe in her home. And uh, eventually, out of the blue one day, uh, we're uh, we're sitting there together and she looks at me. And if you ever pictured this woman, she's the most amazing woman I've ever met, but she's terrifying if you didn't know how nice she actually was. And she looks at me and she's like, can I do your nails? (laughs) (laughs) And that was the moment I knew she was comfortable. And she looks at me and she's like, I used to be a beautician, you know. You'd never know it now, would you? But I can do your nails. (laughs) So I let her do my nails. They look pretty good, actually. So housing is a difficult process, and uh, those that do this work are very much under-acknowledged. It is very, very difficult. It takes everything you have in you to bring people to a place where they feel safe, especially those that have felt let down from the system. When you're dealing with people that have been homeless for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it's very difficult to make people safe. But once you do and you help them with their journey, it's more than worth it because you've given someone their life back. The other interesting thing about homelessness is um, when people do take stats, I guess going back to stats and being honest with your stats, so most people that end up homeless, 80% of people have enough protective systems that they will get themselves out of homelessness and never return to the system. And those are the people traditionally we love to put in our stats. Look how great my shelter is. 80% of people move out. Well, they would have anyway. Even if you just never talked to them, they would just find their way out of homelessness. (laughs) It's that 20% of people that we have to deal with and work with 
and care about enough to get them into their homes. It's really easy to take credit for the stuff that would have happened anyway. We do that with addiction services too. Uh, many people in, a, in uh, addictive lifestyles actually eventually just make their way out, even with little to no intervention. But those are the people we put on our stats because they look shiny and they look nice and you know the media loves them. They're all pretty and shiny now and their hair is brushed. And uh, so we have to get away from that and get back to the reality of the people that actually need our help because they're the ones that don't have voices. So the biggest part I would have to say if you were dealing in the homeless continuum is remembering the basis of Housing First, which I think is amazing because it's based on consumer choice and self-determination. People choose their own housing, and if they choose their own housing, they're more likely to like it and stay in it. We don't choose it for them. It's not, uh, we're not living there. Making sure in our communities that we have immediate access to permanent housing with the support necessary to sustain it. Making sure that housing is not conditional on sobriety, program participation, religion, sexual identity, or anything else other than the fact that they're human and they need a home. Making sure that there's social inclusion so that when someone is put in a house, we make sure they have daily meaningful activity. Back to the cage analogy, if you just shove someone in a home with no furniture and no pictures, well, they're going to start choosing vodka over water. And also understanding that what's happening isn't just happening in one community. These amazing initiatives are happening globally now because we understand that that housing is a human right. And I want to leave you with the thought that the way that we look at people that are ill and the way that we treat them, which always isn't the best either, but you wouldn't take your grandma and drop her off in the emergency room and say, well... I guess this is just where you're going to stay now. This is what happens to people in shelters every single day. So now that we have more housing choices, people get to move from the emergency room to the actual care they need, so to speak. Is it a perfect system? No, absolutely not. But as we do our work, we find other people that, under, that are underserved. And the one thing I know for sure about my community, and I'm sure many others feel the same way, We will keep doing what we're doing, and then we will keep finding the people that aren't being served, and then we're going to help them too. And then when we find more gaps, we're going to try and close those and help those that are underserved too. And we will keep doing that until every single person that we deal with is home, and we're not going to give up until that happens. So no, it's not the solution to everything, but when you start doing something, you find other areas that need help. And when you find those... Do something about that, too. So my challenge is to each and every one of you in the capacity that you work in or live in, find out where you can make a difference to help bring someone home. Be a part of the prevention piece. If you know that there's a child in your community that needs help, if you know there's a senior in your community that needs help, if you know that there's racism occurring in your community, be a part of stopping that. Those are all a part of the factors that lead to the issue that I'm speaking about Every single human being in this room can be a part of the solution. It's not just a politician on the front page of a newspaper. It's each and every one of you. Each and every single person is responsible for their community. And each and every single person is responsible for the quality of life in that community. This isn't just something other people can do. There's many, many of us that are passionate about this work, and I want to just take a moment to thank the people in Alberta that have been so 
wonderfully working on this. We have amazing support from the government level down, and not just because it's a nice news story. There are people that do really care about this and got into it because they care about it. You have amazing workers in your own community, and it always floors me how little Lethbridge knows about the own, their, their own work happening here. I would challenge you guys to get to know it. You have amazing workers in this community that are dealing with some of the most marginalized populations in Canada. Get to know them. Go down to the Housing First team here. Talk, ask them what they're, what they're dealing with because I'm telling you, you have dedicated people that deserve to be acknowledged for the work that they do. This isn't just a Medicine Hat issue. This isn't just an Edmonton issue. This isn't just something that happens on Vancouver's east side. It's happening in your community, and there are ways that you can make a difference. In our community, it just started with conversations just like this. So I want to thank all of you for allowing me the opportunity to speak today, and I hope each and every one of you in your own way um, can help uh, help bring Albertans home because that's the whole point of what many of us are trying to do. So thank you.